and welcome to another edition of the Beer Vana Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. Uh, this is kind of fun because we're back where it all began. That's true. You're right. <laughs> we're back in the basement of my house. Uh, the basement of Studio B. Yeah, the basement of Studio B. The dog of the pod made an entrance, but we shoot the dog of the pod away because <laughs> the basement room is a little small. Yeah, he would. His noises would have been amplified. Yeah, if he here. started snoring, it would bounce off the ceiling and it would <laughs> drown us out. So, uh, no dog of the pot. Uh, with me, of course. Welcome to the Beer Vana Podcast, uh, Jeff Allworth, author of the recently released Secrets of Master Brewers. I finally got my copy, uh, as well as old favorites like the Beer Revival and Cider Made Simple. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> yes, and what? And what? What have you done with that copy? <laughs> I was actually given that copy a while ago, and I left it at his house. So, yeah. Uh, After having hounding me to give it to you. Yeah. An unintentional oversight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I now uh, cannot put it down. <laughs> that, that is such a blatant lie. <laughs> <laughs> actually, uh, apropos of absolutely nothing, because we're a beer podcast, I'll tell you that uh, because of my son is so excited about the movie coming out, I sat down and read Ready Player One, which is a teenage fave. Uh-huh. Uh, which was really cool because it's full, and I understand why they might want to make a movie out. It's because it's going to be one of these transgenerational things because it's full of '80s references, uh-huh. video games, old computers, uh, and as a kid who owned a Commodore 64 and then uh, grew up on video games and pop music stuff, it has just like it's just constantly uh, referring to that stuff. So it's, it was big fun to read. So yeah. I, rec- I recommend it. Our time is now. The the Gen Xers are are making art, and so things like Stranger Things and uh, the Americans, all all eighties porn for those of us. Who yeah, both of, both of those I love. Yeah, uh, and if you don't know, Ready Player One is the next Steven Spielberg movie coming out. So all right, uh, okay, uh, where were we? <laughs> oh yeah, you blog at Bravana. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> uh, oh, now it's your turn. All right, and you are Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University. I haven't said this in a while, but also um, research fellow in uh, Sao Paulo and Germany. That's Bonn, right, Bonn, Germany. So, and after my little excursion to Germany, where I was sitting in beer gardens and drinking the beer, I might have to get back to that Germany place soon. <laughs> yeah, you gotta get you gotta get up to uh, Dusseldorf and Cologne, which are close by, so you can. Yeah, Cologne is. I mean, they share an airport, Bonn and Cologne, so there you go. Uh, that's an easy one to do. Um, I never have time when I go there. <clears throat> okay, uh, so uh, welcome. Well, part of the reason we're hiding out in the basement, of course, is the the um, apocalypse has hit Portland. I think today we're supposed to get up to 106 or something like that. Which for Portland is crazy, crazy hot. Apparently, yeah. the, the radio has been uh, been saying that 107 is our all time high, and we're f- we're going to flirt with this. this yeah, time. we're going to get close to breaking our all time high. Um, thanks to global warming. And nobody has any air conditioners, so we're just Ah, So this is interesting. So the New York Times today actually had a little article about the heat wave in the Pacific Northwest. Ah. And... um, They love us. And what's interesting is there was a little editorial miscue, um, something you don't normally see with the New York Times. But online, I read this article yesterday, and it came out in the print paper, which I actually get, and I get delivered to my house in the morning. And uh, they had this stat that said 70% of Portland households have air conditioning. Yeah, you had those exact. Same. I was like, "That's ridiculous." That's. I mean, I don't. I don't know any uh, one with air. Actually, air conditioning becoming more common. But I think, and I started to think, probably what it means is if you have any air conditioning at all. So if you have one of those little tiny window oh, units yeah. like we do, uh, that probably counts as air conditioning. I see. But in Portland, many many businesses, restaurants, 
how households don't have air conditioning because you typically don't need it, um, not at least in the past. Right. So we're about all we're all about to die. Anyway, the editorial miscue was this: in the online version, they said Seattle's percentage, which was something uh, like twenty-ish, twenty in the in the twenty-something percent percentage range uh but they had clipped that in the print version and it was sort of glaring because they they compared it to phoenix which has like 98 percent or something of of all households have air conditioning and it doesn't and the actual stat for seattle doesn't appear in the print version i thought wait a minute um but i'm pretty sure i remember correctly that it was in the 20s which is i thought portland may be in the 40s yeah max huh interesting well anyway we don't have any the good thing is this time it's a dry heat so it's actually not that bad we always have a dry heat. It's not very humid here in Portland in the summer. Uh, the last few heat waves, <clears throat> I would claim, have actually been fairly humid because it doesn't cool off at night like it normally does here. Okay. People don't care about our... our, our no, no, no. They, they tune in entirely for our local weather update because it's a, <laughs> it's a regular feature of our pod. It's true. Portlanders, <laughs> Portland has very little weather. And I think, therefore, we talk about weather more than anybody else because tiny, tiny deviations, mag- you know, they're magnetizing to us. Yeah. Well, and because of the heat, I'm, a, I'm of course, going for my... I'm continuing on my German kick and going for the light German beers. And I had... I mentioned this to you before the pod. I had the Ninkasi Hellas, which is a fantastic beer, and it tastes fant- and tastes wonderful. And I just thought, wow, if they could just even, like, come out with a with a with a lighter version of this you know take it down to like 4.2 percent rather than the what i think it's like 5.2 percent well you know we're going to talk about a beer later in the pod that is ideal and it's what i had one i had last night so it's excellent we're gonna gonna get on to that okay well let's talk about what we're gonna let's talk about what we're going to talk about and then we'll get back to talking about that later Uh, (laughs) uh so uh as you may have noticed we haven't been podcasting as reliably this summer um that's jeff's fault as usual. <laughs> yeah, my, my wonderful trip to Europe. <laughs> in the weeks since we were last potting reg- uh, regularly, the world of beer has produced a number of interesting trends, news items, and industry developments. And so, on this blistering summer day, we thought we'd run through the items that caught our attention and offer our summer hot takes. Yeah. That, by the way, was all Jeff. Yeah. Don't, don't blame me for this hot take thing. Summer hot takes. Um, this is all an- another way of saying we don't actually have a real topic for today. <laughs> um, uh, we'll, get, we'll get to the news in a second, That's, but you say the quiet part's quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it; it's all on my sleeve. I, uh, uh, I as an economist, uh, came home. Actually, it was my lovely wife who who doesn't particularly um, drink much beer. Uh, she brought me a couple of bottles after we got back from Europe, and she stuck them in the fridge. And they were sitting there side by side, and they were two twenty-two ounce bomber bottles, and I just sat there looking at them and noticed that one was significantly fuller than the other. This is, we get back to your, your new content tweeting. This is what you content tweeted but failed to blog about. Yeah, blogs are kind of 20th. I know. We, we are, discussed are, that last time. Are the naughties. They're like 2000, 2010. I think they're dead now, man. I admired this. <laughs> uh, so you were, you were intrigued about this. But well, so I, I asked myself a couple of questions. One is... Uh, when they say 22 ounces, do they talking about the bottle or the contents of the bottle? I assume the latter. And if they're talking about the contents of the bottle, clearly these two bottles do not contain the same amount of liquid, but both say the same on the label. And so one, is there like a standard? Is there monitoring? I just had all these questions. And as I recall, you were also outraged. Your first Wasn't your first tweet something about outrage? Because you assumed that the low one was the one that was below 22 No, no, no. Ounces. My first tweet was actually explaining that it wasn't about outrage. It was just about curiosity. 
not how I remember it. <laughs> you know me too well. No, it really was. I was really just thinking like, wow, this is interesting. You know, you have two commercial brewers, and, and part of it is the economist in me, right? If, if it's excess, then that's costly. Why are you doing that? And if it's too little, then that's potentially a problem because you might get in trouble with your consumers if they think you're skimping and stuff. I'll, I just have all of a sudden these questions that have before and as, they're good questions actually. as a scholar it caught my attention that i am and so someone someone tweeted back and i can't remember it was a brewer from somewhere and said i think that 22 ounces to the bottom of the neck uh right i saw that and and they made the amazing suggestion that i could actually measure it myself <laughs> <laughs> so i thought what a great idea as a scholar i should be uh investigating this and so i did and some in, empiricism and in fact uh that was exactly the case and this 22 ounce bottles are actually a contain 24 ounces all the way to the top they're actually a 24 ounce bottle and so to the, essentially the start of the thin part of the neck the 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 main neck part is uh uh 22 ounces and so of the two the lower one had uh, exactly 22 ounces of beer in it exactly what they said perfect and then the bigger the one that was more full that was halfway up the neck or more um, had 23 ounces of beer in it so a bonus ounce right which is great as a drinker but as a brewer that's one fourth no I'm sorry uh, four, four percent one fourth that's four percent or something extra beer I, I need to try to do the math glad to see your math is good as mine <laughs> it's the heat it's the heat it's getting in my head uh, and you know after you start brewing a few beers that's after you start selling some beers that's a significant excess uh, and the excess one um, because I'm not outing them for any for, for a good reason for the consumers um, was Breakside which kind of surprised me because Breakside is a pretty modern, efficient, and big, fairly big brewery now, uh, and they're just regularly delivering bonus beer, which yeah. is great for us but bad for the bottom line. So anyway, these are the questions I had. Well, I, <clears throat> I have nothing much to add except uh, these two items. Uh, one is that 22-ounce uh, bottles are enormously profitable. The, the, the earnings per ounce are just off the charts compared to six-packs. Uh -huh. So, you know, throwing in an extra... Uh, ounce is probably not the end of the world since you're already making way way more than you would if you were putting them in a six pack yeah that's spoken like a beer writer and not a hardcore business person man i'm just saying you know they're probably not crying over over losing that that a little spilt beer yeah. <laughs> a little extra beer and then the other thing is i think a lot of these breweries are probably uh doing uh mobile bottling yeah and i bet they don't have nearly as much control when you when you farm that out to somebody else about that stuff so that, this is that's exactly what i thought yeah. and so i thought the two bottles would be reversed because the second bottle which i won't talk about well they're exactly 22 but still it's from a smaller brewer that i'm almost positive uses a mobile bottling line and i thought okay so that's going to be the issue is that this is a mobile bottling it's really random some of the bottles on the shelf are probably really full and some aren't so full You'll um, have to go back and see on that same brewery, though, because just because it had 22 it ounces be, doesn't indicate that it was... That's uh, another... Okay, so that's the next stage in the in the research. Yeah. The further research should be to line up a bunch of bottles of, like, a big brewer and see how they're all very consistent, and then a little brewer and see if they're all inconsistent. Yeah, that would okay. be interesting. All right, all right. I'll, I'll report back next time. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I'm in... Yeah, I, I am interested in that. I don't know how accurate even really, uh, you know nice I, I know that everybody's worried about dissolved oxygen uh, i haven't heard a lot of discussion about 
the amount of the fill. Well, that's a, so that's another stuff. question I had, which is that the more empty space, the more dangerous to the beer, unless you're really good at filling that with CO2. Right. Now, I, I, that's, a, that's a question. Boy, we're just, we're just throwing out questions right and left. The, a big question that I've always had about uh, bottling and canning is how well the evacuation process happens. Yeah. I know that um, that's one thing that people are really concerned with when they get new bottling lines. That's, yeah. a, that's a big thing. But um, <clears throat> it seems like cans you know, have left space. So right off the bat, it seems like basically there's no space for, for, for liquid or for oxygen to get in there. So then you're, if you're doing bottling, you have that space and how well is the evacuation going and are you getting CO2 in there and all that stuff. It's going really fast. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm maybe, guessing maybe I'm, packagers out there can let us know what's going on with that. Yeah, our curious minds would like to know more. Well, that's a good idea for a future pod. We could even talk to someone who does a mobile bottling line because I'm wondering if that's one of the challenges. Yeah, if you need a lot of sort of fixed infrastructure to really make that work well, or if you can load it in a truck and take it along with you. Interesting. Well, that was our first hot take right there. I just I snuck one right in. It's so hot that we couldn't even wait. But no, I'm really excited to move to the news because last time we we didn't have news, and so we didn't have our intro. That was a little bit of a botch job. I, my intention there was that the news would be your travels, so we could have said next the news, and it would have been your news. We still could have gotten the the music cue in there, but we my, botched the whole thing. My, we were out of we were out of practice. My travel was mostly news to me, anyway. It's not very exciting. Uh, if it was a beery travel, then it'd be more exciting. All right, so. Uh, before we get into our hot, hot takes, first, the news. All right, in the news, Constellation Brands is building a $1 billion uh, brewery in Mexicali that continues to battle with local farmers over water. The farmers say the project will further drain a local aqueduct, but Constellation is backed by the Baja state government. It could produce up to 20 million hectoliters a year at full capacity. Yeah, interesting. This has been going on for a long time. Every now and again, I'll see a, a story on this, and I, somehow I'm just magnetized by it because a billion dollars, it's just a, it's just a, a mammoth brewery. I mean, that's yeah. just crazy, crazy big. And it brings up a point, actually, I tweeted about this because of a local story, which I'll mention in a second, but uh, it brings up a point about brewing that is maybe underappreciated is just how much water uh, it takes to, to brew beer. Yeah. Um, this is about <clears throat> the water coming into the brewery. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh uh, and um, the local story is about the water that goes out of a brewery. So um, the local story is that in Bend, Oregon, which has become kind of a craft brewing hotbed, but is also um, one of the fastest growing cities in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lovely town on the eastern side of the Cascades, so in the rain shadow of the Cascades, meaning it has much nicer climate than ours, especially in the winter. Um, it's, a, it's a lovely town, a lot of great breweries there. Um, but uh, they have been um, essentially undercharging developers for uh, utility fees for constructing utilities, and now they have um, a real problem with wastewater treatment, and they have to upgrade their wastewater treatment facilities and expand them. And so they're levying, um, I don't know if you call it a surcharge, or they're just increasing the, the wastewater treatment fees, and that's big for breweries that produce a ton of wastewater. Um, and particularly, apparently, breweries produce sort of more... I don't know what dirty or intensive wastewater that requires extra treatment, and so they're getting levied a, a special surcharge for that uh, dirtier water. In fact, it's 
uh, so much. I think the article says that Deschutes Brewery was expecting to have their rates go up by like 312% over the next couple of years. And so they're actually looking to to um, uh, do it themselves, to do their own on-site wastewater treatment and, and not be a part of the municipal system. Right. But for the small brewers, and I think they talk about Which is actually probably the city's really happy about that. That's a great outcome for them because then they don't have to deal with the infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, quite quite possibly. Uh, but for smaller brewers, that's not an option. Um, I think they talked to Larry Sidor at uh, Crux, right, uh-huh. um, who says that this is a big deal and it could really increase their costs um, in what's becoming a, a, a increasingly competitive industry. Um, so it's it's interesting. The, 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 the figure that gets bandied about is seven to one. It takes seven gallons of uh, water to produce one gallon of beer. And they were saying that, you know, good breweries can can get that down to shoots claims to have a four to one ratio for example uh because they use you know the sort of the smart usage of water um, i'm not exactly sure all the things you can do and if you go back to that uh mexicali brewery you're talking about uh 20 times it's probably an efficient brewery so i'm not going to be seven but 20 times four or five right uh 20 million so that's like 100 million hectoliters of water um a year that they're they're looking in a in a not particularly wet place right <laughs> yeah I'm, it's in baja i've not been to mexicali but uh yeah it's yeah. down there in the desert so. just yeah exactly i was gonna say just the word baja suggests <laughs> yeah not tremendous amount of of uh surface water is going to be it's right there on the border with um, america and they're making all that fine uh mexican lagers though that we love up here so yeah constellation brands Modelo? Uh, no. I think it's Corona. Corona. That's yeah. right. It's Corona. Yes, you are. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. All right. So uh, next we have, actually, let's just do these together. A okay. um, couple of, they're kind of <clears throat> kind of related. We have two uh, purchasing stories. One, it's weird. The um, Lagunitas, so is owned entirely by Heineken, but they have their own weird little uh, shell company called Lagunitas U.S. Holding, Lush. <laughs> uh, and this, um, the shell company or subsidiary bought, uh, a portion of shorts brewing in, uh, Michigan and shorts is a bigger brewery than I knew. They're uh, making 45,000 barrels. So that's an interesting kind of rant. It seems like a, ra- a bit of a random, uh, purchase. Um, and then, so is the, is the implication that they're taking some of the money they got from their sale to Heineken and then now reinvesting it in other brewers? I guess. Huh. Interesting. But. Shorts? I don't know. Weird. Um, I know the Michiganders love their beers, so there you go. Maybe that's something to do with it. Then the other thing is Michigan, uh, I'm sorry, Brooklyn bought uh, minority stakes in 21st Amendment, which is from California, and Funkworks from Colorado. Uh, And they're going to do a thing where they combine their uh, sales and distribution. So you can see how those kind of connect across yeah, the country there. And you would think that they would also maybe start brewing each other's beer and potentially, you, right? And especially brewing Brooklyn beer and these other so that makes a lot of sense to me as a business decision. And Brooklyn is a fascinating company. They sold twenty five percent to Kieran mm-hmm. uh, last year, but they also have these arrangements with uh, Carlsberg where they have brew pubs in, in Scandinavia that they ah. that they developed. So they're a weird like they're and Brooklyn kind to, of independent, but they have all these relationships. Brooklyn has a great name I think uh, I think it's sort of romantic around the world, this mm-hmm. notion of Brooklyn. And you find Brooklyn beer all over the world. Yeah. I mean, it's almost, it's now like the one, you know, Rogue gets around really well because they try hard. But uh, 
no matter where you go, if you're going to find an American beer, the first one you'll find, American craft beer, the first one you're going to find is a Brooklyn. Yeah. It was big in Brazil when I was there. Uh, it, it was the one of the couple of craft beers they had at this uh, uh, beer bar I went to in Prague and so on and so forth. You'd find just UK. Brooklyn beers everywhere. It's big in the UK, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so interesting. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. In fact, that makes almost more sense to me than uh, these breweries who are building their own uh, like mostly it's west coast brewers building their own east coast facilities yeah it it makes more sense to just buy a steak in a brewery and then try to leverage that i think those i think you're going to see a lot of that we've we've seen uh, craft beer alliance craft brew alliance uh here in here in oregon and then um the omegong thing with omegong and uh boulevard and uh firestone walker i'll get it i'll find that brain cell uh, all, all owned under the Duval name. So they're kind right. of collaborations. They're, I think these collectives are one way to compete with bigger breweries without having to compl- completely rehaul, you know, overhaul, start a new brewery. It's it's like a, you can either go to the East Coast and start your own brewery or you can have these relationships. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see this more and more. Yeah, it's, I think it, it seems to make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I, <laughs> it seems to be way less risky and way less expensive. Yeah. All right, um, there you have it first. We approve, so go ahead, go forth and, and collaborate and, and come up with these. Two podcasters, right? <laughs> uh, you can put that in your prospectus. That's right. <laughs> all right, uh, so that's the news. This is a good chance to tell you that the Beer Vonda podcast is brought to you about All About Beer magazine. Uh, brought to you by All About Beer magazine. See, I already messed that up. I was going to ignore that. <laughs> Explore the culture of beer through award-winning news, reviews, education, and insights. Print and digital subscriptions are available by visiting allaboutbeer.com. And be, per- and be sure to listen to our sister podcast, After Two Beers. Join the editors of All About Beer as they conduct in-depth interviews with the most interesting and compelling figures in the beer industry. Um, I also, uh, since, since we're no longer shilling for... Uh, Guinness. I'll say that I actually went looking for that Irish wheat beer uh, in the store, and I couldn't find it, which was a drag because that's a perfect beer for a really hot day. It's true. Um, I actually really enjoyed enjoyed that beer and f- found myself wanting more. Well, maybe you should have yourself a Widmer Hefeweizen then. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, that's a joke. That's an inside joke. I mean, <laughs> I'm on the Widmer payroll right now to write a biography uh, of Kurt Robb, so that was a little product placement there. Well, uh, and it's actually not. Um, not entirely uh irrelevant because um you you've got me um you got me recently trying Hefeweizen again for after a long time and it really is a, a, a nice beer too and they have um the Hefeweizen you're gonna have to help me here the one with lemon or orange or what are you talking about they have a summer shandy kind of Hefeweizen thing oh Widmer does yeah yeah they come out with these things oh, okay I, I, um <clears throat> I don't, I, uh, I don't know. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I think uh, we, I think I'm obviously we, a bad mole for, for <laughs> I think we talked about this on the pod in while back that, uh, they actually have a pretty, cause we were talking about sort of shandies and how they often go wrong. Right. And they had one, maybe it was last summer. They had one that was actually quite, yeah, quite they, nice. They do. They, they, they're continuing that line. Yeah. I don't know what they're called. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, but there are a lot of good. It uh, is a Hefeweizen. They call it the Hefeweizen, and it's Hefeweizen with something. Right. Anyway, there's a lot of good out the of those out there. You can find yourself a Vine Stefan if you look at it. Most grocery stores will have that. That's a nice Bavarian one. Those Bavarians, they know something about beer. Turns they, out they do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Schneider also good. A little, little more full body though. So, All right. 
Anyway, uh, so time for hot takes. Let's do some hot takes. Let's do some hot takes. All right, so I know you've been bending my ear about this, so let's finally talk about this on, on air. Uh, the new independent seal by the Brewers Association. So go ahead, tell us the background, and then we'll give our hot takes. Yeah, well, it, there's not a whole lot to say there. Uh, the Brewers Association has a new seal out that you can put on your uh, uh, packaging uh, associated with your brewery if you meet the criteria that uh, Brewers Association has for what a craft brewery is. An independent craft brewery. An independent craft brewery. Well, being a craft, by by their by their lights, a craft brewery is is by definition right. independent. So that's their, their thing. But I mean, that's part of the seal, right? Independence. Being, yeah. It, that's it says the word. In, that's it, the key word. Right? That's right. That's right. The whole point of the seal, they've really winnowed it down. They've gotten rid of, there's three criteria in the, uh, the uh, craft definition that they're proposing. But this is all about independence. That's, I think they made a decision. We're just going to promote this one thing and try to put this in front of customers. Like if we can hammer home one point, it'll be independence. Yep. And so it's, it's all a reaction to the, all this acquisitions that's being, uh, that's been happening by eight, the by the high end. Did I get the right high end? You did. They, the 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 Anheuser. No, sorry, EB InBev. <laughs> so it's hard to keep up. Uh, uh, so um, breweries like Goose Island and Tent Barrel and I'm trying to think of non EB InBev. Um, Hop Valley, Lagunitas, Hop Valley. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, would no longer qualify, and so that's how you could distinguish your beer from, say, like let's do the local example from a ten barrel beer. Is you could stick this little seal. By the way, it's an upside down beer bottle silhouette. What do you have any idea why? What, what's the? I'm trying to figure out why an upside down beer bottle. It's overthought. It's too clever by half. There, it's because they turned the beer market upside down. Uh, yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> But as everybody on Twitter and social media said, oh, that looks like a drain pour. Uh, yeah, exactly. Talk- it's, it's not what you really want to happen no. to your beer. <laughs> talking to my first reaction was that's a terrible logo, and talking to other people, uh, I've, I've yet to hear anybody praise the upside down bottle. So that was unfortunate. I'm not sure why they didn't talk to more people. Okay, a but the point is, but the point is, them. is this a reasonable thing? One and two, will it work? Yeah, right? exactly. Okay, and I have my own. I, this is one area where I might have interesting insight that's different from an economist because i think I'd, i'm not viewing it through the economist lens but i'm really interested in the economist lens okay so do you want me you, you want to get my 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 two bits first? go for it yeah yeah so uh i've been involved in politics and and when i was a researcher at portland state university i was uh, a union guy and this is a f- effectively a function of a collective action um brewers association says if we all do this together if we can get some a uh, high percentage of the uh, 5,000 whatever breweries to put this on there, it will become very clear that if you don't have it on there, you're not independent. Um, collective actions always take a long time to to, to bear fruit, mm-hmm. and they require all this kind of coordination. So it's a very slow, very long process. The message looks very much like a political message, um, and this also is one of those things where you're trying to shift public opinion again I'm guessing a decade is you're not going to have any effect, any major effect for probably like a decade. And when you see uh, political things, massive movements uh, in, in politics, they always take a really long time. And what you have to do is you have to move the, uh, the voter's mind to a different mindset. And so you're always looking to reset the frame of reference. So um, when I've been writing about this, I've been talking about things like death tax. So the death tax is something that... Uh, 
Republicans, uh, it's the estate tax. They want to get rid of the estate tax. They re- refashion the death tax and just talk about it constantly. Right. And for years and years and years, it never really had any valence. But then, you know, eventually it started to become a bigger deal. And it affected people. Uh, people became a big fan of getting rid of the death tax for whom it would never be applicable. Like, you know, because um, it had become this big political issue within the party. So right. uh, that's the kind of thing that you have to do. You have to do it collectively and you have to do this kind of political action. And I think the Brewers Association are looking at it from that perspective. And I saw a lot of critique of it saying right now customers don't care. It's not a very important point of uh, purchasing decisions. And I think that's all true. But I also think that um, the Brewers Association has, has got a pretty long view on this and they're looking, you know, they've, they've got membership. They're thinking of being around, they're hoping to be around for the next uh, 50 years, not the next five years. So they're, they're look they're, they're taking their shot. So that's kind of how I looked at it. And I thought, you know, if this works, I think it has some potential to be effective. Yeah. Well, I actually, I think I don't disagree with anything you say. Uh, as an economist, I, I am always in favor of, um, information. I think that, con- that a more informed consumer is making more efficient choices. The question, of course, and <clears throat> this is a question we've talked about in general, which is how much do customers really care about uh, the sort of backstory of the beer? And I think that they do a lot, um, and they probably aren't that informed right now about which ones independent and which ones aren't, except for the beer geeks. Um, they probably know more. But I doubt that too many people, even in Oregon, who are sort of going to the store and looking at a six-pack of uh, Ten Barrel versus a six-pack of Ninkazi, think, okay, well, this one's a part of AB and Bev's high end, and this one, this one's not, and so I'm going to uh, actually choose. I'm not sure how much, and so I do think that it'll. I do think it um, it could have an effect on the consumer psyche. Does it? Will it have an, a significant effect on their purchasing decisions? That's maybe. Uh, harder to tell mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I predict that you'll start seeing is uh, a little bit of a price divergence um, like Goose Island is being produced at such scale now that they could undercut uh, if they want and so it's actually going to be an interesting test case will people be willing to pay how much more a dollar more for a six pack two dollars more for a six pack because they really want to support independent brewers it's it's quite possible. I, I don't have the answers, except that I don't have any objection to the label. I think it's perfectly fine. Uh, I think it's um, going to be important to make sure that consumers know what it means. Um, what are the criteria that make you independent? <clears throat> Excuse me. But I've been starting to think more and more about craft beer as sort of like uh, the recording industry, mm-hmm. in the sense that <clears throat> uh, I think part of what consumers want is to be sort of um, in in the know or to to be uh fans of the latest cool band or cool beer uh they're interested in trying the new stuff from the 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 hottest new brewers out there breweries out there and their attention can quickly wander um and so it sort of has a parallel i suppose into the sort of that cool band that you liked in college and then signed the big contract with a major label this is by the way for you youngsters this is long ago <laughs> but it used to be that that was a big deal uh because you had to you had to find someone who would distribute your music when distri- distribution was harder right uh and then so you know there was all of this talk of sellouts of these big bands um and uh the economist or maybe cynic in me um, thinks that it often didn't really hurt the big 
they still did much, much better with a big label and all of the supports that they had. Um, and it didn't hurt their marketability much, but they lost that kind of street cred, so they lost that niche market. Now, what's happening is we're finding some of these big brewers are facing more difficulties. I guess we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, but, uh, you know, New Belgium and Boston Brewing and stuff are, are finding it. They're, they're no longer the it, it brands anymore. So, And that was an interesting thing. I sent out some emails to breweries, and I was... It makes all kinds of sense once I got the answers back, but when I sent them out, I expected the smaller brewers to say, oh yeah, we're totally getting on board, and the bigger brewers to be like, eh, maybe. It was exactly the opposite. Harpoon, uh, which is a large brewery in Boston, very excited about uh, having this thing, and the smaller breweries said, eh, you know, everybody knows we're independent. They, they know who we are. We don't sell very many barrels. We only sell them locally. Yeah. Nobody's, nobody's really worried about it. So that makes, that totally makes yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> sort of exactly what I expect. And that, again, I can draw my little, my little cool parallel here with the recording industry. It's like a band that gets big, and so they're, you know, they're no longer your little a niche band that you alone know and love now everybody knows them so you're not so excited anymore but they haven't signed the major label and they say no 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 really still we're independent and we're we're cool and don't abandon us <laughs> do you know i should have asked you i should have asked you to prepare for this but maybe you know off the top of your head uh this is not a unique proposal by the brewers association there are other um other kinds of sigils and, and things you'll mm-hmm. see on, on, on products, you know, organ made or organic, uh, organic, yeah. all, all these different things. Do you know how much uh, those affect sales? Uh, can, can those be effective or are they, do they have, do they serve another function? I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't have a, a, a clear um, data answer. I would just use sort of the revealed preference argument, um, which any, uh, uh, and economics would go some for this case would go something like this you know the fact that you see those labels and they're prevalent and um they are sought after uh, suggests that they do actually have real traction in the market and i think organic is a really good example yeah um having that label sort of is a way to ensure a consumer that you're getting something and consumers clearly value organic food and are willing to pay more for it um and believe that it has some some intrinsic value that um to them and so that could be the same thing here. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see how prevalent it becomes. I do think that in order for it to matter for a harpoon, that the little guys are going to need to do it. So I suppose that's one argument um, that the Brew Association can use to try and convince people. It's like, this is something that, in order for it to become a thing, yeah. we really all need to buy in. Right. In the last check, there were about 1,650 breweries that had signed up for it. Um, so that's not bad. It, it came out on Independence Day. They chose that. It was actually uh, symbolically made a lot of sense uh, in terms of the brewing cycle. It didn't make a lot of sense because people are super busy right now. So. Yeah, and I'm 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 one who's fairly agnostic about whether I buy a beer that's from a brewery that's owned or not by a big brewer. Um, but I'm all for. I mean, I'm all for the attempt. I have nothing against it. I think that. Um, there's certainly nothing wrong with giving consumers that information, allowing them to act on it. Whether that's going to have a significant market impact. Will be you know, it's interesting. You often say that, and yet you don't really buy like ten barrel or Elysium. You 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 say that, and yet you basically buy local and independent. It's true. So it's interesting. That's true. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't. I guess I'll put it this way. I don't buy that much beer. Um, surprisingly enough maybe uh so um i tend to uh 
to like to sort of I can't you know, let me put it this way I can't keep in touch too much with too many different cultures so I try to keep at least sort of some touch with the local culture so I, I seek out local new beers and new brewers and um, although I do keep coming back to some certain faves and so on my list here I have us going to a, a <clears throat> brewing trend but I I want to follow this up with uh, the response from the big guys because it seems really appropriate. To oh, yeah, yeah, this is good, yeah. Um, uh, because when this first came out, the reaction, the collective reaction from most of the uh, blogging, social media, beer folks was a yawn. They were mm-hmm. like, eh, okay, whatever. This is probably, it's probably okay, but it's probably not going to have a big effect. Among big beer, the reaction was very different. Um, mm-hmm. Within a few days... Uh, ABI had released their their high end mm-hmm. uh, 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 division had released a an a, a video with different brewers from who uh, previous owners of the little breweries that have composed the high end um, talking about how in this whole thing with independence is ridiculous and it's way cool to be part of a big brewing organization where you have all the expertise and uh, access to market and all this stuff predictable kinds of rhetoric. Right. But it'll make anybody, our beer better. It'll make our yeah know, but accessible. And it was clearly from the place of incredible uh, defensiveness peak. Uh, just the, everybody in that video was in a bad mood, and it, sat, <laughs> it was sour. And anybody who were like, the, I don't know who that video was made for, but there's not a single person that I can imagine who would think, "Ooh, these guys are cool." I'm convinced. It just it was a bad effort. <laughs> And what underlie the whole thing that would, yeah, I mean, the, it seems like the only reason you'd have that response is if it actually hit a nerve, if you were actually a little bit worried about this whole independence thing. So I found that kind of interesting that ABI clearly was a little bit anxious about this. Well, that's exactly, that was exactly the first point I was going to make, which is it, you know, uh, you talked about it in emotional terms, but, you know, the genesis of this comes from ABI, which is, you know, a big, conglomerate a big very shrewd business and so the fact that they felt like they needed to get out in front of this suggests that they actually do consider this a real existential threat threat to the high end um the the grumpiness of the brewers themselves is um i'm trying to think of the right adjective well to your point it was exactly it had this it had that quality of people who'd sold out uh, bands who'd sold out. It, they were like Precisely. really defensive, and you know they were like uh, they they wanted both the street cred and also the big piles of cash. They it, got. Exactly, exactly. I was going to try to think of the, the defensive. Maybe is the best the best word. Uh, it's people who sort of are a little bit sheepish about you know the nice car now or their driveway or whatever it is. That, <laughs> yeah, and they're getting a little defensive about about it. Um, uh, yeah, I don't. You know. I don't know what the right business move is for them. Uh, I think the best thing to do is to probably, well, my take would be the best thing to do is to just basically stay silent, maintain, allow those breweries to, to, to make local decisions and run independently and just allow them essentially to be owned, but not, not attached. Let me put it this way. By making such a video, you're just reinforcing this idea that we're all part of this big conglomerate. Yeah, right? it seems to have the opposite. And they also really give valence and uh, or currency to the idea that independence is an important thing because the whole point of the 
the the video was to say independence is not that valuable. Why are you guys focusing on this thing? Right, but the video comes from some corporate guy saying, "Hey, dudes, I need you to get in front of a camera and tell everybody, <laughs> I need all of you to do it, and you got to do it now." <laughs> right. <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> what message are we sending? Yeah, yeah, it's totally true. And from a political point of view, the big thing that the big challenge is always trying to get oxygen. There's mm-hmm. too many messages out there. So the way to kill this, if you are uh, Heineken. ABI, Sab Miller, the way to kill this independence thing is don't talk about it. Do not talk about independence. The last thing you should ever be talking about is independence. So mm-hmm. this video was really ill-advised from that perspective. Yeah. So interesting stuff. Yeah, I think that if you're going to defend your independence, it should all be um, not a collective effort, an individual efforts in the local markets. You know, get out there and talk to people and, you know. Right, try to good. show them. Yeah, like I can understand how a local response by someone like Ten Barrel could be. Look, let me show you what we're doing and who's making the decisions and who's running the show and all that. Walk you through the brewery, which really does exist. It really is in Bend, Oregon. There's really one in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, it is know, these are the recipes that we're developing, and ABI has nothing to do with. You know, so that kind of stuff. I think would yeah. be much more well, effective. If, if they'd hired us for a lot of money, we could have. Uh, That's an idea. You know. We're, avail- them some advice. we're available. <laughs> <laughs> and we have our big cars. So we won't feel a defense at all. Yeah, we're, not even, we're not even that expensive. <laughs> hey. <laughs> well, that's actually, yeah. I'm not a very, I'm the cheap one, so call me. Don't call him. He's getting expensive. Oh, I see. Already, already lowballing me. This is why we have no money. <laughs> Just, it collapsed right there in the this, space of uh, this two is how it ends. This is uh-huh. how it all ends. Uh, okay, so what do we skip now? Oh, the yeast. Tell me about yeast. Yeah, yeast is cool. So there's this amazing story that came out, which did not get very much attention, but I thought was super fascinating. Um, Scientific American wrote one of the poorest articles I've ever read about beer. It just, everything about that It's article. Scientific American, man. I they're know. Not, you would... <laughs> they're not trying to write some pithy beer article like... Well, they should have gotten the Jeff science. Allworth. They should have gotten the science right. It's oh. Scientific American. Oh, okay. That's so it was a problem. A, it was a real problem as far as all that goes. But um, the thrust was uh, interesting, and I think we're reliable as far as it went. And I did some research, and it turns out this is all true. Uh, there, they uh, scientists have discovered a new, or like been working with this new yeast that has been. It's actually been known around, known about for a while. But they're working with it. It's called. I'm going to mispronounce this, but we'll give it a shot. Lachancia? Lachancia? You have a shot at that? Uh, Lachancia. Okay, Lachancia. I put an extra syllable in there. Thermotolorans. Yeah, thermotolorans. Thermotolorans. Um, they didn't make it easy on us uh, to get that out there. But the in, the super fascinating thing about this yeast strain is, so it's not it's not a Saccharomyces, it's not a Brettanomyces, it's an entirely different uh, species or genus or something. Huh. Um, it does simultaneously both a lactic and alcohol fermentation. Oh. Which is weird. So I they mean, I, so wait a minute, they isolated this yeast and they discovered it. Yeah, you throw it in beer and you get. Uh, but I mean, you I, get like a kettle soured beer out of it. It was a new yeast that's been discovered. That's the idea. Yeah, okay. it's a totally new yeast strain. It's like not even in the same family as regular yeast strain. So, so you ferment and sour at the same time. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and I just uh, so that was interesting, and I think one 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 interesting trend that we're seeing, and uh, it's picking. Up, it's not new this summer, but it's um, it's picking up steam this summer is breweries are really getting interested in finding 
unique yeast strains that uh, they can uh, find in the wild, mm-hmm. whether it's Saccharomyces, some strain of Brettanomyces, uh, and use in their in their brewery because then you have this flavor profile that's completely unique to your own brewery. Um, and I just saw even recently here at the Portland Deschutes uh, pub, they had a, a beer on that they had made from mm-hmm. a, a yeast strain they'd harvested from uh, uh, the skins of fruit from Central Oregon. Uh-huh. So you, yeast is everywhere, and you can try to find this yeast. And um, it didn't say whether it was Brettanomyces or Sack. You'll find both of those on those. Um, you'll find apiculate yeast. You'll find bacteria. You'll find everything. So yep. it's it's actually a long, slow process. Um, and most of the yeast, like like 99.9% of the yeast is, is terrible for brewing beer. It doesn't f- fully ferment out. It produces weird flavors. Like there's a lot of, a lot of yeast doesn't work very well, but, right. um, but for those breweries that can find them, they're pretty cool. And we're starting to see a lot of experimentation on that. Yeah. Market. It's kind of the last frontier of, of trying to go local and find local, yeah. local flavors. There's, you can grow your hops, you can do uh, grain. You can even, I suppose, play with water, although usually not so much. But, yeah. but yeast is something that a new local ingredient that you can try and exploit, but it's difficult. It is. It's really hard. And to, to and find a yeast that will behave predictably and well and gives you flavors you want. And yeah, it's so. all, all of that's definitely true, but it's fun. Um, I know people like me are really, really fascinated. Yeah, yeah no, no, it's, it's really cool when you can, when, when, when you can pull it off. Yeah. And I suppose, I suppose what the, um, and you can correct me with this, but my notion of what happened in Belgium is that it was sort of learning how learning the yeast and then learning how to make something good out of what was there. Yeah, they worked with process more than yeast. Like you know, if you're a lambic brewer, uh, one of the brewers, uh, uh, Rodenbach, one of those kind of brewers, mm-hmm. um, you have a process that you find produces good ye- good good beer, and uh, you don't really. I mean, I think until very recently. Those brewers had no idea what what cocktail of microbes right. were in their beer. So, right. so I'm saying that's that could be sort of part of what you know you do is once you figure out these yeasts, and then then it's all about figuring out how you make good beer with a yeast that's behaves in wild, strange ways. Totally. Speaking yeah. of wild yeast, we have a beer here that we should drink. I was about to say this is a perfect segue to oh. this. Are we on the same page? <laughs> to this bottle that's sort of sweating in front of us. And, <laughs> uh, looks lovely because it's absolutely completely. Uh, nondescript. It's just a, a bottle. So why don't you tell me what it yeah, is? Yeah, pretty cool, huh? By well, the way, the sounds of gentrification are seeping into my to my basement here. I live in a neighborhood that's rapidly gentrifying, and and the remodel that's happening next door. I, I'm hearing through my ah. my monitor headphones. So if you if you hear bumping and thumping, that's that's just progress. It's the character of the pod. That's just sounds of progress. <laughs> this beer we have in front of us comes to me via. Stan Hieronymus, who was in town uh, um, Friday, mm-hmm. uh, and we went out and had some beers, and he had been to um, a hop symposium that happened at your August institution, Oregon State University. Great. Uh, and he and I have both been following along very closely, well, have been following along very closely at the start, less closely lately, mm-hmm. um, with a project at the Mount Angel Abbey mm-hmm. in Mount Angel, Oregon. It's yep. a Benedictine Abbey. Uh, they had until uh, maybe a decade ago, um, as a Benedictine Abbey, they're, um, uh, they need to be self-sufficient. That's mm-hmm. part of what the order demands. Uh, abbeys are self-sufficient. And until about a decade ago, they had the largest 
German lang- language uh, book press on the West Coast. Uh-huh. And um, then about a decade ago, that became an unviable thing because <laughs> book presses, you know, not so viable. Not <laughs> yeah, survival. I was about to say. <laughs> but they're in Oregon. And in fact, this brewery, which is right in the center of uh, hop fields, has hop. Uh, they have. Uh, fields that are they lease and their hops growing on the fields they lease and so, oh, so it's land they own they lease to hop to, to hop growers. growers thank yeah. you that was much better said yeah, um yeah well <clears throat> i'm i'm not so good with the words <laughs> uh the uh monks started thinking you know this is a thing that they do in belgium maybe we should have our own brewery uh they're led by a guy named uh, uh father martin mm-hmm. who is this uh really um avid beer guy an intense beer guy and he has in the process of pushing this thing along built i would love to see it i i've only heard him tell tale of it uh what sounds like the greatest homebrew setup I've ever heard of. It's like thousands of dollars and it's like this little mini amazing homebrew setup. Um, and they've been taking it very seriously. They're monks. So they're going very, very slowly and very, very methodically. And all the monks are weighing in and they're all tasting beer and they're all trying to decide what kind of beer to make. Um, and then it took them a long time to figure out where to build a brewery. And they finally did have done that. And, and they've been, um, while they were trying to get their brewery, uh, built and you know the the infrastructure and they're also been working separately on uh the beers themselves so one style that they have already dialed in they're definitely going to make is called black habit and it's a dark belgian style ale Mm -hmm. and another one is called faustus and i don't actually know too much about this beer i know a lot about the black habit i i watched them make that and and i got to taste various versions of that beer as it was going along Mm -hmm. um this beer is um uh, it looks like it's more of a paler beer. It's made with uh, some Vienna malt and some Crystal 40, but everything else is pale and sugar. Um, and they use a uh, their own house yeast, which is a Belgian strain. But then, so they made, uh, a lot of their beer has been, um, they've been working with Alex Ganum at Upright. Mm-hmm. And uh, because Alex is this famous uh, barrel aging guy, right? they decided to do some barrel aging and what we have in front of us is a beer that's been barrel aged uh with um three strains of brennomyces let's see they were work yeah bottled with three different uh brett strains um barrel aged in wine barrels um and this is something that they're interested in pursuing once they get their their own brewery up and running which um you know the the abbey breweries the world's abbey breweries uh are not known for their kind of innovation or variation. They tend to make certain kinds of beers. This is true even in uh, in America. There have mm-hmm. been a couple of breweries like this that opened up, but they don't right. brew a lot of different kinds of beers. Right. So, and they and I don't know anybody who does barrel aging. Orval has a Brett strain they use in the process, but they don't do barrel aging. So, right. this is all kind of really groovy and interesting, and I'm excited to try this beer. All right. Us. So that's uh... and eventually this beer is going to uh, this brewery is going to open. Yeah, you can open it, and we're going to have an Abbey Brewery here in Oregon an hour Oops. away. That didn't sound too good. <laughs> I have this cheap bottle over there. <laughs> that was a mistake. Oh, wow. I can already tell you it smells. There we go. And I want to thank Stan. I don't think Stan had two bottles, and he gave me this one. I don't think he knew what either one was uh, when he gave me these bottles. And I think we got the pick of the litter, so thanks, Stan, for that. It had a great aroma. So it is a pale beer. Uh, 
I, it um, looks like a it's like IPA color. Yeah, I'm giving kind of a heavy pour because it's not very effervescent. <clears throat> it actually smells like Orval. Mm. It's vinous. I'm mm-hmm. getting some wine notes out of that. Yeah, definitely wine. It was... What kind of barrels is it? Wine barrels. It was wine barrels, yeah. yeah. I and guess they were smell a little alcohol, so it's probably pretty big by your beer. Probably so. <clears throat> um, the, oh, wait a minute. And this was... So this is a barrel-aged version of a beer they also produced and and uh sold without barrel aging right right it's okay. called faustus okay so faustus is the regular beer and this is a barrel aged version of faustus okay sorry yep now i'm on board <laughs> wow it's really good really really good oh wow mm. it's um <clears throat> it's kind of tannic almost very dry it's definitely dry it's a wild beer mm-hmm. although it has a ton of esters so it's a, it it's fruity to me. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a just massive bouquet of fruit in the nose and um, oak and wine. There's yeah, it's very it is very vinous and the wine is pre- present on the palate. But there's also um, mm. a lot of uh, stone fruit and mm-hmm. wow, that is really good. <laughs> and it's not super funky. Mm-mm. No, no, no. It's really it's definitely dried out but it's not like horsey barnyard or anything it's no. it's really quite restrained in that sense mm. this is a really really fine beer if they made very much of this people would be liking themselves some abbey beer absolutely that's exceptional that honestly is faustus mm. barrel aged faustus so of course replicating oh. this is going to be a challenge yeah right? i was about to say if they can keep making that that would be fantastic i suspect they're going to continue to work with alex wow. uh as they get their brewery up yeah. and get it going and alex. certainly when they do barrel aging he's a one of the best in the business alex so. knows his stuff yeah. yeah so for those of you who Good don't know Portland or with. know about upright it's kind of a small brewery here but um alex Ganoon does some of the best barrel aging um in the in the country really i mean it just really gets a wonderful character balanced rounded mm-hmm. not uh super complex doesn't go for the really vicious intense sour dry stuff so very nice yeah he says here that it was a bit floral when it first started now it's a bit more rustic and barnyard but i don't i mean yeah the floral is not prevalent to me but it's not that it's rustic but not barnyard no, it it actually the rusticity reminds me a lot of a naturally fermented cider or uh, wine. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think if you gave this to a wine person, uh, they would find a lot familiar with it, including even the those those Brett flavors seem like natural carbonate or natural fermentation. Yeah, and now that you mentioned cider, I would, I would almost say that as well. It sort of has a, a bit of that cidery snap. Mm, really nice. Wow, well, thanks for bringing that. Thanks yeah. to Stan, and thanks to Mount Angel. <laughs> and thanks to you, Jeff. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's a treat. Keep, keep your eyes peeled for... It's, the brewery will be called... It's the Mount, Mount Angel Abbey, but uh, the brewery's called Benedictine Brewery. Okay. So that's what, that's what you should look for in... I don't know. Let's give them five years. Mm-hmm. Monks... So the time scale for monks is <laughs> different than it is for anybody else. They are very deliberative people. Yeah. Well, good. Good. So they won't they won't bring out a beer until it's ready to be. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's why those Abbey beers are so good because 
they're not worried about the next quarter. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our next hot take. Next hot take is this. Mexican beer, the newest, latest craze in craft brew. Yeah, this has just been burbling this summer especially. So we've been seeing this, uh, the you know, the first breweries a year or two ago were making Mexican beers. But man, this year, everywhere you go. Mexican-style lagers. We saw this at the OBF. We did see it at the OBF. Everybody's making them. And... Um, now, by everybody, do you mean everybody locally, or is this like a nationwide trend? You think it's a nationwide trend. Okay. It's definitely. I mean, I, my guess is uh, the trend is probably much greater where Mexican beer, imported Mexican beer, is already popular. So the West mm-hmm. Coast, the Southwest, right. uh, Southern states, um, those those places. It's interesting. There was a, somebody on Twitter said, "Is it appropriation for a craft brewery to make a Mexican beer?" and uh, that's weird in a number of ways since the Mexicans themselves appropriated it from the Germans. Like right. this was not an indigenous process. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the, the entire, yeah, entire, all of beer in the U.S. is a, is a cultural appropriation. <laughs> totally. So, so, I don't know why. Can we really steal this stolen thing that the Mexicans are doing? And also, the other thing is, if you are from the West Coast, the Southwest, you grew up on Mexican beer. Like, mm-hmm. When I was 21, I was drinking Dos Equis at Mexican restaurants the second I could. So wait, your point is that's now your culture. Yeah, totally. Okay. I think so. I mean, I think the craft brewers who are making this, you know, the Oregon craft brewers that I know who are making this, uh, have this really positive connection to these beers, which yeah. um, they drank with, with Mexican food and, and, you know, sunny days. And yeah, stuff, and I'm so. very conflicted about this whole cultural appropriation thing in general because it's so hard. I mean, like, where, where do you draw lines and how do you make these connections? I mean, the world is one big cultural appropriation. I mean, everybody appropriates from everybody else, it seems to me. Uh, and I'm a fairly well-traveled person, so... I see lots of evidence of cross-pollination everywhere. And it's oh, yeah. Just, you know. We're a mobile people. I anyway, mean, they were getting off track. So Mexican beers. Yeah, so Mexican beers. I, I think it's interesting. This is the... I alluded to this earlier. I was uh, I went to a restaurant last night, and I had myself some Pacifico, which is probably 4.2%. I had two pints of that, and mm-hmm. I had zero effect on my mind. It was like... I couldn't believe <laughs> This is a really low-alcohol beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, and it, you know, it was a hundred degrees yesterday, so it was really nice. It was perfect for that. Right. It was. Uh, yep. It was paler than your Hellas. Uh, and Chris, you know, you don't want to get dehydrated. Mm-hmm. Everything when it's hot, everything seems heavy. I remember when yep. I was in um, yep. Panama. Yep. Panama has two beers: Panama and Soberana. And Panama is like the heavy one. Right? It's like four point two percent. Right. Soberana is the light one, and it's like three point eight percent. Panama is one of these places, like you described, very very humid. So. Yep. It really accentuates that stuff. Yeah, it's similar in Brazil. The, the 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 six varieties of the light lagers they have there are all just exceedingly light and yeah, yeah, totally. They are they are particularly. You don't need to start making Brazilian lagers here, but Mexican lagers are a little more distinctive. And I think it's interesting. I mean, I think it's a way. It's sort of a backdoor back to the light lager mm-hmm. uh, without shame because it's a Mexican thing. Like you can't make a light. Like there's no way you could make a light beer. Uh, yeah. without referencing mass market American lagers and all the baggage. But, you know, you make a nice Mexican lager and kind of everybody has a positive impression. Yeah, and it's a cue, I think it's a cue to uh, um, a cue to the consumer about what the intention is without, like, being a turnoff. Like, if I said, hey, this is our version of Bud, you're like, <laughs> nobody wants that. Right. But, but Mexican lagers, uh, even though you might argue they're fairly similar in a lot of ways, um, have their own sort of image. I think that's, you know, it's an import, it's from Mexico, it's much cooler. I think people are sort of 
like this idea and and and, and it's more the more readily accept this idea of a light lager since oh yeah it comes from mexico it's hot you know and not for nothing but uh mexican import mexican lager imports are one of the few really bright growth uh sectors is that right are they growing oh yeah they're going crazy in fact pacifico which is my favorite is Uh just like going gangbusters Uh and individual brands it's really obscure to me how individual brands get their juice coming into america but they different they have different yeah you and i agree on pacifico it's always been the one i always look for yeah uh i'm not exactly sure why it's just the one i liked and i've never been dissatisfied with it and I, i but i will confess this and you know just between you and me and and this microphone. <laughs> yeah, no one's uh, listening. <laughs> I think if it had a different label, I would have a different reaction to it. There's something about that label that is just huh. so encapsulates everything about the, the goodness and lightness of that beer and that beer style. I think if it were like a black label like with a German script on it, I would probably be like, eh, whatever. Huh. It's, That's it's called Pacifico. It's got this great name. It reminds me of the Pacific, the Pacific uh, Mexican thing we're in the pacific it's bright and yellow and the beer is bright and yellow and i don't know huh, maybe I think, yeah i you know I think we it, should all confess to these things because i think they have a bigger role than yeah. we probably imagine i had a dos Equis yesterday or, yeah, not too long ago and it was a fine beer but it's a le- ugly label yeah by the way i can i'll confess entirely to brand i mean i have brand loyalties that come from part i have no idea <laughs> like it's just you sort of decide okay this is it. like i'm a soccer player and I wear Adidas cleats. Like, that's it. Like, I don't even, I don't, and it's completely random. Uh, there probably was some sort of psychological trigger at some point. Or I'm some sure some of the players team. that you like, they all wore those. Yeah, so. it was some, maybe it was the player, maybe it was, it was just whatever. Uh, for me, it was probably because, you know, that was what, early on when I was a young soccer player, this was back in the 1970s and 80s, there wasn't much uh, else and right. that was sort of the idea uh, and then Puma sort of faded away and now it's coming back but anyway yeah. um, uh, so, there's anyway. all these weird brand loyalties but I, when I was a kid um, I shouldn't say this when I was a kid when I was a kid the beer I drank uh, <laughs> the first Mexican beer that I drank a lot was Dos Equis uh-huh. uh, but then I don't know I discovered Pacifico and I thought it tasted better to me and so Pacifico's I've sort of been Pacifico guy and yeah. in fact when I was in Mexico City I had Pacifico just so you know very cool uh yeah so um i think that loggers have been a trend for a while i think that um uh a lot of brewers have now tried to um brew their own classic german and czech styles but maybe those aren't as approachable to american consumers and then having this mexican lager is really a way to sort of clue in to a american consumer that hey we're doing something that you you know and yeah and love and we can do it too and I think they're making it safe to like light lagers again, so I'm a pretty big fan of the trend. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about the lighter beer trend in general. I'm so happy it's happening because, um, yeah, yeah, for all these reasons, but especially when it's 106 degrees, <laughs> totally. it's so nice to have, you know, a 4.2% yeah. light lager to drink that's tasty and well-brewed, and yeah, it's great. Yeah. And in the past, even the problem is a lot of these imports you might look for often are heavier because they need they need more alcohol to survive the journey and into some more of this monk beer yeah (laughs) good stuff (laughs) all right so um so mexican lagers are a thing i hope that they're a thing that stay i hope that that just light lagers in general and i think that um in the past american brewers have brewed slightly heavy to style uh and i think maybe this is a 
a, a way that we can really start getting into these beers that are below 5%. Yeah. I'd love to see a whole range of four point something beers. Yeah, totally. That's my life. I, I can tell right now, as a 48-year-old man, that <laughs> my future is in light beer because I have these big IPAs and I'm asleep. <laughs> it's partly summer. When, in, when, when winter comes around, I like the stronger beers. That's so. true. Actually, that's definitely true. You really like that sort of comfort. Yeah. It's like comfort food, right? Warming. It's like comfort beer. Yeah. Warms the belly. Yeah, warms the belly, warms the mind, warms the soul. That's right. <laughs> All right, so the next uh, hot take here um, is that Big Beer seems really worried about wine and spirits, uh, and you say that New Belgium hired Steve Fetchheimer. You read the book. You read okay. it. So you, uh, that, that fell to you. <laughs> is He's the former chief strategy officer at Beam Suntory uh, because of this fear. Um, how much is cider playing a role, you ask? Uh, and you say that year-to-date totals through the second quarter suggest that all alcohol numbers are down. So what's what's up? I, I would I thought, like I understand that big, big sort of, what do we want to call them now? Legacy craft brewers. Yeah, should, that's what I've been come, calling them. We should come from a term. Okay, legacy craft brewers are, are struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've sort of interpreted that largely as due to being... Um, uh, being pecked away by these small independent craft. I, I use the term independent. They're independent as well. So Sorry, these smaller, newer craft brewers. Um, but they are more worried about wine and spirits, which for a long time has been the big trend in alcohol sales in general, that overall beer is down, overall wine and spirits are up. Yeah, I know. It has been a trend, and yet uh, everybody's especially panicked this year. <laughs> and maybe it's just because uh, craft which had always been the, the shining star, has some weak spots. Yeah. Um, By the way, let me ask you this. Do you think that Boston Brewing is the bell cow? Like, Boston Brewing... <laughs> you got to tell me what a bell cow is. It's the one everyone looks to, right? It's the... So, are the canary in the coal mine. How about that? Okay. Bell cow? You made that <laughs> No, I didn't. Bell cow. Write in if you know what bell cow is. Yeah, everybody knows what bell cow is. Huh. Back me up. Uh, and my point is that they've probably been struggling the most. They're also the ones that have been most aggressively, I think, going into every possible version of malted alcohol. You know, <laughs> so they've got their well, actually cider. So forget that. Uh, but anyway, other beverages, right? So yeah. they're into ciders. They're into alco pops a little bit. Twisted they're, tea. Twisted tea. That now they're doing alcoholic seltzers right right spiked seltzers or something yep uh so um do you think that that's that everyone's looking to boston beer and thinking okay that's the future like if i'm new belgium if i'm sierra nevada or well i think nobody knows and i i, I my guess is uh i think the beer market is different from these other businesses because uh beer it's really interesting that we just talked about how much we love uh Pacifico, and we couldn't say why. <laughs> um, that's really characteristic of the way people relate to beer. And it's not the way they relate to spirits. Uh, it's not the way they relate to wine. Hmm. In wine, you're looking for the, you know, the everybody's a real magpie with wine. It's like, yeah, this one true. is yeah. really, this one's supposed to be good this year, and but that one wasn't any good last year. And Well, there is a segment of the wine market that is kind of a mass market segment. And sure. I suppose there's probably brand loyalty there. Like, I'm going to get my Gallo. Gallon, gallon of Gallo Rosé. <laughs> I think people don't have that same kind of emotional connection. And they certainly don't with, with spirits either. Um, you know, spirits, I think, track to cocktail 
drinking. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, there's been a, a, a trend towards cocktails going on for probably 15 years. Yeah. I mean, there's been a big trend towards cocktails. Yeah. So uh, I don't know that the pro, I don't know that the way you sell beer is the same way that you sell um, vodka or even mass market wine. Right. So I'm not convinced that people who are brought in from Beam Suntory are going to have necessarily have any insight into what the beer drinker wants. Mm-hmm. So I'm really skeptical about this move. And I, I, I don't Okay, know. so oh, so you so you interpret this as that as we need to figure out how to sell beer better. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I was think I interpreted it as we need to figure out what other things we can do after we ferment grain. Yeah, <laughs> I mean grain. I, I I do think uh Boston Beer is certainly a company everyone's looking at, and they're all trying to figure out whether going into these other areas makes sense or not. I haven't heard a lot of people thinking that that has served Boston Beer so well. Yeah. So also, it certainly hasn't served the beer no, part of Boston Beer well. That's right. I mean, I, I'm I'm confident in saying that. Yeah. I like think I you're think totally it's right. Yeah, and it's sad. They just they filled in uh, lost sales with sales of other crap, and then they didn't have to. And now they're tied, and now they're sort of tied to chasing the, the latest trend. Yeah. Uh, the, the one thing that wine, I wine coolers, by the way, that's the next thing. Wine coolers. <laughs> hey, everything. Zima's back. Oh, I so I saw this. I we was should gonna, have Zima next. Oh, we ha- we once we did a thing on on flavored malt beverages, and Zima. We talked about Zima, but I don't think it was back yet. No, but so I I have this. Uh, I didn't tell you. So I I went to the the okay. So there's a local the the best beer store in Portland is probably still uh, what's known as Belmont Station, um, and I went to their website to see what was I was looking for German beers, and on their list was Zima, and Zima is now brewed. You got to help me out. This brewed by. I have no idea. Oh, okay. So it's. I just saw on. It, uh, you start to see it on Twitter, like people are. But I'll have to look because it's actually brewed by someone you wouldn't expect. Fact. It's like a smaller brewery, and it's from somewhere. Like somebody has taken the Zima brand and has oh, run with it. Wow! I think I think that was my interpretation. So I'm huh. I'm really getting off the reservation here. I'm kind of getting in trouble. But anyway, it was on their list. I was just so surprised that it even existed anymore. And then it occurred to me. And then it again, seemed to me. And it then my again. Yeah. And then my implicate. And, and then what I took from it. Uh, I don't know if this is true. That it is a brand that got revived in as sort of this niche thing. Yeah, it totally got revived. So. There you go. So bottles and bottles and James is next. Yeah, far behind. <laughs> Boy, the anyone anyone under forty has no idea what we're talking about. No. <laughs> so and, wine coolers were the first big sort of crossover alcohol pop, I think. Yeah, that's right. Well, I don't know. Maybe they were they the first were the big first, one in our life. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. Uh, uh, all right. So my you're reaching. You've lost your monitor. Lost my monitor. But that's okay because I can. All right. So. Uh, yeah. So you wrote many. Oh, I just want to say the one last thing on that. Um, that last point is apparently the millennials are drinking less alcohol. So that's what's everybody's really panicked. Just in general, they're and they're not, smoking less. They're not lushes. They're apparently very. They're not buying cars. What What is this generation gonna? America America's gonna go to. I know. Handbasket. I know. They got to get out there. And we haven't trained them stuff. to be consumers. Come on. Oh, it's terrible. That's the essence. What kind of, of Americans are you? It's the essence of being American. You have to consume, <laughs> consume, consume. Even when you don't need stuff, you got to consume. That's right. Damn. <laughs> See, it's just the problem with public education system. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know. All right. So you write. Many craft loggers are getting. I think you're right. <laughs> I absolutely. I I really agree with you on this. Well, I didn't. I wrote. There was a. 
a fragment in front of that, wasn't it? <laughs> Let's read the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. I That's, did read the whole thing. Just that is. You want to know. Well, it was, via, it was via Tyler Green. So, Tyler, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I threw that. this out on social media, and I got some nice... Some of these things came from other folks. Uh, it's the cat. The category is dry hopped loggers, so that's uh, the category. Gotcha. And uh, it was uh, either Facebook or, or, or Twitter. Tyler Green mentioned, it. and I think it's uh, one of the interesting things about the craft logger uh, mm-hmm. phenomenon is, for the most part, breweries are playing it pretty straight. They're not. Um, the IPL thing was never a really big deal. People are making pretty standard traditional loggers. But the one thing that I do think you're starting to see Americanizing, and it probably started with Pivo Pills and uh, Firestone Walker, is uh-huh. uh, they are dry hopping them. So getting a little bit more oomph in there, a little bit of more American uh, character. So uh, I just, yeah, I, I saw that and I thought, yep, that's a trend. That's totally happening. Um, I, I think it's cool. It to- I think take a logger and start monkeying with it. That's awesome. <laughs> I think it's totally cool too. I think it's, 100% American, of course. Yeah. Why would you leave that off the table? It's like a, another layer to throw in there, and it's a great layer. So. Yeah, and I think that, the, so I'll be on the record right now saying I don't like IPLs yeah. uh, because you gotta you got to increase the malt bill to, to balance the hops. And it's, it just ends up being, to me, a complete unbalanced mess. And Yeah, and the bitterness doesn't work with lagers no, nearly as well. So. Yeah, exactly. So take a nice light lager and then dry hop it so you don't, don't make it bitter, but make it, you know, hoppier. start. Yes, make it hoppier. Start playing with those flavors and aromas. That's yeah. great. Totally. Go for it. I'm I'm there too, and I'm guessing that probably we're seeing a little bit of a whirlpool hopping, little little splashes. Yeah. Probably with like traditional, you know, like Holler Tau or, uh, yeah. you know, Sterling's or something. Just a little flash, just to kind of make those yeah. hops a little bit more vivid. I also think it probably suggests that American brewers are starting to get more comfortable with lagers. Yeah, exactly. Um, and now feeling sort of confident that we can now start putting our own stamp on it. So go yeah. for it. You have our blessing. That's right. So now we, we bless somebody else too. Yeah. A lot of people are getting our blessing. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're getting kind of long here, so we should probably think about wrapping up pretty quickly uh but we are on the last hot take so here we go uh oh right yeah so carlo mondavi uh, heir to the mondavi wine one of empire empire uh, yeah. jacob bush also part of the bush we probably don't need and then elliot taylor who construction i think it's his family is like famous construction family in california okay yeah so they decided that the world uh needed a real pilsner Right, because there are no American pilsners. Because there are no American pilsners. <laughs> um, and by the way, Jacob Bush is telling us this. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, they've been they've been bought up. They've been taken over. So uh, thankfully, and we uh, we all have them to thank. Well, and, and this was for maybe forty eight glorious hours. Uh, they were just. <laughs> they were just the target of so much Schadenfreude on the internet. It was an it was article. Like, it was an article in what Forbes. Forbes, yeah, and and, and it was just like these guys were golden gods who descended from the heavens to bring us. Well, and the video. author, the author made the the classic mistake. He said something like, you know, in the second paragraph, he said something like, after spending time with these guys, I got to think of them as like really super cool dudes or something. Yeah. Like, oh, don't fawn over your subject. <laughs> uh, and of course, of course, because they're so. Uh, um, uh, generous. They've decided to start their brewery in Napa Valley, where they all have their third or fourth homes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
<laughs> I can't. I can't play this straight. Serving underserved uh, Americans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've really decided to locate their brewery somewhere that you know is is important in the Pilsner world. And, but eh, who knows? I never had it. It's called Sons. Sons Pilsner. It could be good. Who Maybe knows? Maybe it's fantastic. Of course, they had to actually hire a brewer who knew how to make it. Make it, and if he's a good brewer, it could be a good beer. I have no. Yeah, no absolutely. opinion about that. That's yeah, that's generally my opinion. Anyone can make a good beer. But in other celebrity news, yes. Kel- oh, you're asking. You're looking me right. Kelsey Grammer uh, of um, uh, first, of course. Uh, um, um, Cheers. Cheers. Fame. I was about to say Friends. Like, that's really bad. <laughs> like, uh, and then what was the psychologist guy? Fraser. Thank you, Fraser. <laughs> I think this casts back to the uh, Cheers days, though. Yes, yeah. So uh, I prefer to think of him as Cheers, Kelsey Grammer. Um, plans to open uh, Faith American Brewery in the Catskills. It's yeah. named for his daughter. Uh, and this is in Delaware County um, in the Catskills, which apparently is... Fallen on hard times. Fallen on hard times. And he thinks it would be cool if... Uh, he's owned property there for a long time, and mm-hmm. he thought, I should start a brewery because it would be cool if I could offer some jobs. And breweries are good things for people, and they're good for local uh, communities and local economies. And I'll do this. And it's like, wow, and they, that's actually really cool, Kelsey. Good job, man. And they make beer, which is good. Yeah, that's right. You're making beer, so yeah, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, so why not? We have an example of one celebrity. Uh, and I'll just use this as a, I'll, I'll use this as a quick jumping off point, which is that that this has become a thing. Not just in like beer geek world, but this has become a thing in community development. Yeah. Like brew pubs are a thing and breweries are a thing. Like this is something that people believe are a way to help revitalize communities and help revitalize neighborhoods. Do you not know about me and Jim Fallows having a back and forth on this? <laughs> well, I do know, but I'm now on the podcast and I'm the economist, so you can talk to Jim Fallows all you want. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> that was my uh, one brush with, uh, <laughs> with with a kind of fame that I admire enormously. That's actually one of the coolest things in my sort of little strange connection to beer the beer world is that james fallows who is this amazing uh um reporter who reports on international things and development things and lived in uh china is really yeah it's sort of one of my repertorial heroes as growing up is actually a total beer geek yeah like that's that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) yeah periodically uh he'll just he'll tweet or write about uh beer he's drinking and he's from california so he likes a lot of he, he goes back to california and always uh, immerses himself in whatever local beer has opened since he's been there. Yeah. So he's a great guy. So we've talked about brew pubs and, and sort of neighborhood development stuff, but it's okay. really it's really a thing. I mean, it's caught on as part of these professions. Because if we haven't, I'm happy people. to talk about me and Jim Fallows. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I'm sure people are on the edge of their seats. All right. All right. Well, uh, we're now in time. To, we don't, man, once again, we have no mailbag. You people are dropping Well, we kind of have... We had a little bit of a mailbag in that I folded some of... Tyler Green was in Tyler there. Green, and some of these other ones actually came from people out there, and I forgot to cite them. All right, so uh, let's just jump to the Sherpa man. Yeah, Sherpa. Be, be the Sherpa. Be our Sherpa. All right, well, we're going to we're gonna do a little remedial sherpa in here, because <laughs> somebody dropped the damn ball. We're going to talk about a very fine beer from the Czech Republic, from Prague, in fact. I knew I'd never live this down. Ufleku. Brewery that was founded in 1499 on the same location. It still exists in Prague. Uh, this is, incidentally, for those of you who have poor grasp on math, way, way, way before uh, lagers were regularly brewed in 
the Czech Republic. Uh, the Pilsner, they were being more brewed by the time Pilsner came along in 1842, but they were still kind of rare. Uh, they may have been brewed hundreds of years before, but they'd kind of fallen out of favor. Anyway, uh, so Uflecu's beer has evolved over the course of time, and, and it's interesting when you go back through the archives, you can see ways that they made it that, that were different. They make it in a much more, what we'd say, called a modern Czech way with decoction mashing and everything uh, now. But um, they make one beer. Mm-hmm. It's a 14 uh, degree, which is, say, 14 Play-Doh mm-hmm. beer, so stronger than usual, stronger yeah. than a Svetli Lejak. Mm-hmm. Um, dark beer. A churne or a tamave. I can't remember which they call it. Yeah, they might call it tamave. I think it's called tamave. I asked one of the guys at the brewery there, like, how do you guys decide whether it's a tamave or a churne? He's like, uh, churne means black, but it's just used randomly. Like, people just choose one, and then they call their beer whatever they want. Okay. (laughs) Well, Ufleku is, I think, the best example of this style of beer and one of the most distinctive beers it, as a Czech beer, distinct from Dunkel or Schwarz beer in, in Germany. A lot of people uh, try to equate Czech beers to the German styles, but um, this thing is really unusual, and it's not like anything that's made in Germany. It's very uh, it's very thick, and it's kind of under-fermented, mm-hmm. but it is weirdly not... Uh, it's weirdly dry. It's got a little cocoa thing, a little tiny bit of roast, um, so it's very round in the mouth, mm-hmm. and then you think it might almost be too sweet, and then you swallow, and it just... It's crisp and bone dry. Well, not bone dry, but it's really crisp and and um, it's just super Moorish. So you you swallow. Your hand is putting the glass on the table, but it, it finishes so dryly. Boom! Right back in the mouth again. You just it's <laughs> and like next you thing want, you know, you're on the floor. That's right. <laughs> it is an amazing, amazing. Uh, beer. Do they do they only serve it? Do they package it all? Nope. As far as I know, that I I've never heard yeah. heard of it being packaged. So, right, so I'll cop to the fact that I. I uh, I knew what I was in for in my European vacation, and so I I demurred on everything else. But I made you one promise, and that promise was that I would go to Ufleku. I know. And I was very conscious that day and that evening, where I knew that in the end I was going to fail. Um, but I consider I'll, it my failure. Obviously, I did not impress upon you the historicity of this brewery, the the <laughs> crushing. No, no, no. You did. Everybody knew. My entire that my, you would have the rest of your my life. My entire family had been impressed by your presentation, and we all were on board. <laughs> I'll happen. I'll just say that, and 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 people in my situation will know that when you've got two I mean, traveling with kids, that. Events can conspire against you, and it's not always possible to predict. And I had 36 hours in Prague, and I tried to make it all happen, and I failed. I only want to protect the rest of the world from making from my failure. Yes, from your failure. So please do um, understand how don't be like me. Interesting, this beer is, and go drink it if you're in Prague. By God, don't miss this beer. Okay, the all rest right. of you, the rest of the world. That's the sh- that's the Sherpa. That's go the Sherpa. go to Prague and drink Ufleku. Yeah. And try not to get too drunk. <laughs> All right. Or if you're staying near there uh, or are on uh, public transportation, you know, drink to your heart's content. All right. So this is one of the longest pods we've done, but uh, it's time to end. <laughs> All right. I know you always want more. Uh, so thanks very much for listening to the podcast. A few words going out about how to contact us. Jeff blogs at the Beervana blog, which is has a new address. It's beervanablog.com. And he tweets at Beervana. 
Um, and Patrick, don't, um, tell, don't say I blog anymore. Mainly tweets at uh, at Beeronomics. Yeah. Um, he has a defunct blog by the same name. But, you know, I actually post... No, I didn't. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought about posting our last pod onto the blog just so I could tell you that I blogged. Oh, But well, I didn't even manage failed. that. <laughs> so really, I don't have a blog anymore, but just follow my tweets at Beeronomics because they're amazing. And this podcast can be found on... Uh, uh, soundcloud and itunes and google play and please go subscribe so you get these automatic subscribe rate us rate us so uh you know do what it know. takes people say this is important and we think it's important all right we okay. want more people to hear our uh, our wonderful insight about places like Ufleku and and whatnot so and most importantly that. most importantly contact us it's jeff at beervonablog.com uh send emails or you can go to the beer bonnet beervana blog facebook page and post but post us your comments questions suggestions we want to hear from you right we got to get mailbag going if it's the last thing we do we're going to get that mailbag yeah maybe robust in, maybe in year six people actually start that's right it's because we're just so good that there's just nothing else to add we just it's <laughs> like drop the mic all right all right cheers jeff all right cheers patrick bye